Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Right, this is episode... Uh, episode what, Bertie? Episode 82? Episode 82. Or Scotty season Donald 2, episode 30. Yeah. We're way up there in season two now. Exactly. Um, and we had Fiona Sherlock in. Thank God the episode saved. Yeah. <laughs> or else that would have been a totally different you'll, intro. You'll have to check out uh, Sunday's video. We see if oh. we get the footage from Scotty almost crapping himself. Oh my God. Um, all right. So would you like to name some of your books so people will know? Sure. Uh, so Supper for Six is going to be out in October. Um, and you can pre-order it from all of our wonderful independent bookshops like Antonia's and Trim. Um, it's a mystery set in Mayfair 1970s, but Navin and Bechtiv are mentioned in it in my uh, author's notes, nice. so it all comes back to Navin. Mm. Um, Hope Navin. Bechtiv seems to be coming up quite a lot in our podcast it recently, is. doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, anybody it else from Bechtiv want to come on? <laughs> <laughs> We've got it. I think we've covered everyone out there now at this stage. Um, all right, so will we uh, will we go about naming this lovely podcast? Let's name it. Episode all right. 82. All right, okay, so here's my suggestion. You get to have a suggestion as well, if you yes, want. Yes, I have one. All right. Excellent. Now, um, I, I've got to set the scene here for this one. Oh, here we go. All right, so this is... Um, I'm going to put on an Italian accent. If you have to explain it, I'm not okay. sure it's going to be good. So here we go. There's been a murder, Luigi. Just a phone a Sherlock. Just a phone a Sherlock. No? <laughs> Oh, <laughs> There's many yeah, different actually, layers to that. That's pretty yeah, good, right? Yeah. Layers, then, yeah. Not sure the Italians would agree with the accent. We, can, <laughs> we, can, we should edit that part out. <laughs> well, yeah, should I just delete that part? Yeah. <laughs> no. Okay, Bertie, go on. Um, I was going to go with The Game is a Foot. Oh, nice sense of suspense mm. there. Yeah. Right, John, go on. Oh, I'm struggling, to be honest. And I'm trying to keep it within the Sherlock, because your name is Sherlock mm-hmm. and Sherlock yeah. Holmes. Mm. That's where I went to. Yeah. I, just I, can't, <laughs> I just can't think of one. I can't think of one. My, my mind's a meant. I have a writer's block. Oh, that's not a writer's block. That's yeah. not oh okay. All right. Uh, well, I'm saying it's a writer. <laughs> You're not writing. You're not writing. I'm, I'm writing now. It's just a John block. <laughs> right, Fiona. <laughs> so he's going to call it a John block. John block. No, let's not call it John block. Fiona, what's your suggestion for the name for the podcast? This is neither as weighted in suspense as Bertie's suggestion, nor weighted in humour as yours. Um, I was going to keep it very clean. Murder on Trumgate Street. <gasps> Oh, oh, I like that. because yes, we are on Gets Street. Yeah, I like that, actually. Yeah, that's very good. <laughs> this is amazing. Okay, all right. Let's call it that. <laughs> so, this is episode 82, or 82. season 2, episode 30. Murder on Gate Street. Love that song. Yes, you do. Okay, that's well, awesome. Do, I think it's getting longer every week. Thank you, um, Bertie. Would you like to <laughs> uh, introduce today's episode? Uh, hello, everybody. It's episode eighty-two. Hey, Bertie, eighty-two, eighty-two. Um, I hope you enjoyed episode uh, eighty-one last week. Um, Axeman Oregon's for some strange reason. <laughs> 
Somebody misspelled Origins last week on the podcast. We had to roll with it. Yeah, because I had all the videos done before I realised. Now, I know it slipped by my eyes too. Four times, let's just say. No, four times. three, because I noticed it on the fourth video. But like, I was just copying and pasting from what you said. That's really no excuse. Uh, it's the WhatsApp group all over again. He missed That's it. Four, I missed it once. He missed it four times. Yeah. And to be fair, I spelt it right when we were doing the actual episode as well. Okay, but what way is it spelt now on... Uh, because I like, you know, cohesiveness. It's all over the place. It's Orgain's <laughs> word. Orgain's? Orgain's? It is now. It's a, it's well, it's a state it's in a America. State, uh, Except Oregon. that's O or Oregon. Oregon, yeah. A bit with an E. E-G. E-G, is it? Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. anyway, we talked to Benny about Axtron. Yes. That was a good episode, yeah. yeah. it was interesting, right? He also works in the zoo, but we didn't talk to him about that. It's <laughs> <laughs> another podcast. We completely forgot. Yeah. Um, gone too wild. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The axe throwing was always probably we got him on. Well, that's the money maker. Yeah, it was quite interesting I hearing his for part of it because we were talking about we- uh, axes as weapons, and he was like, "Oh, I don't see them as weapons; they're as tools." Yeah. It was a very interesting theory like, at that end of. I I really wanted to get into the zoo thing. Yeah. Um, Why didn't you bring it up then? Because <laughs> the axe thing was very interesting. It was, but we um, were just too late. There was too much to go through yeah. with that lead. Yeah. If you have a, a a moment of your your very precious time, <coughs> oh, oh my god, I'm choking. Oh my lord mm. And I left my drink in the car uh, Make sure to rate, like, share, follow, subscribe uh, to the podcast Wherever you may see it It's fine No, I don't want coffee Some coffee um, Okay, will we get right into it? I'm going to go over to the corner here now I'm not going to ask about weekends or anything We're getting straight into it Okay Is that alright? No, my best weekend ever No nope. But anyway, it's okay Don't, don't <laughs> want to hear about it So today with us we have writer and entrepreneur Fiona Sherlock How are you? Hi Fiona, welcome I'm good. This is my first podcast. Oh, so wow. I'm a podcast virgin. Actually. Yeah, absolutely. All awesome. right. Um, so, actually, I was going to ask you something about the... Uh, throne there. Yeah, no, I was going to ask you something, but we'll, we'll wait till later on to do that. So, tell us um, about you. What? what um, tell us your origins. Yeah, tell us about your origins. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds wrong. Proper neologians. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm a I'm a writer of many different uh, genres, primarily crime. I have two mm. books out at the minute: Twelve Motives for Murder, which is uh, an audio book mm. uh, that features a detective called Elizabeth Chalice. It's sort of set in the 1950s, um, all around twelve different suspects and what what each of their motives for murder essentially is Mm -hmm. and another one called death visits january that's set in rd about a kind of a a tipsy antiques dealer right so crime is kind of where i started working on both of the sequels for those books at the minute um i've also create published a couple of poetry collections including one via nft uh, with thanks to funding from Mead County Council Arts Office, which I'm required to say any time I mention <laughs> it. Um, I also create murder mystery games, um, mm. which segues nicely with the books. And I've been able to create uh, games for a lot of celebrities, um, for weddings and engagement parties and different things like that. But mostly I sell to American school teachers and, you know, you know those extra people who always, you know, will go one step too far or you know they'll, they'll always go to they take the most um effort to create like an event yeah yeah that's sort of person hosts the murder mystery party those kind yeah. of extra people who just like having parties and like picking matching napkins and <laughs> creating special playlists and menus and everything to accompany a costume filled evening so sold about a hundred thousand of those during covid Shiny. Wow. that's Incredible. Uh, how, how much of it do you, do you like? Do they give like the details of who's going to be there, like numbers wise, and then you just like set the whole thing up? Or I have uh, on Etsy, I sell these ready-made packs, so they're for they kind of counter different numbers, mm. um, and then for the for for the kind of A-listers, they do um, get their own party depending um, on what the requirements. So do you go, you don't have to physically go to this party? It's in a box, and then there's instructions. Is it pretty much? Pretty and like, much. And so. I've never played the kind of game before. I've never even done a mystery tour. I know there's one up in the Wax Museum. I've never done that one. But so basically, you open up your box and it says who's the murderer, and then you that's the murderer. Like, or one person knows the game, is it? Well, the way I write them is that it's a surprise for all the oh, players. Oh, wow. That's like I have a little inbuilt mechanism there. So you open your box, you have your mm. invitations, your character scripts, 
um, some evidence that everybody has to deduce in the course of the night. Um, and the fun is really, like for me anyway, getting dressed up and people putting on like uh, funny accents. And, mm. you know, you know, I've even seen people who've grown Ronnie's for for their part. Right. Um, so then everyone tends to gather maybe over dinner or drinks. Uh, they play out their roles. They have to try and deduce from what other people are saying and the evidence to who the killer is. And then at the end of the game, usually over a, uh, a Black Forest gateau or <laughs> some profiteroles, they're going to guess who the killer is. So they take turns to go around the room to say, well, I think Bertie is the murderer because he has no alibi and he had it in from because of this reason. And uh, he, he, he had a shotgun in the back of the car and he was murdered by a shock, uh, by, by a bullet. Yeah. So that's the way those kind of parties go. And uh, I started writing them because I actually really just liked playing them. Yeah. And I found that the other games that were out there t- were had all been pretty much written in the 70s. Mm. So were just a little bit off colour. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Most you know, of them, the killer gets the card and then they just have to play dead for the whole thing. Well, in my one, yeah, usually so the murder takes place uh, already. So you might okay. walk into a party and the uh, people have good crack creating mini crime scenes that mm. might have like a chalk outline or a bit of blood there or whatever. So there's not the drop down dead moment live. People find that intimidating. Yeah. I think, you know, when people are reluctant to get involved in a murder mystery game. Um, You're better it, like a crime scene that you have to try and yeah, and everyone's Yeah, and everyone's like comes in on an even, even footing with a, a booklet and there's not too much amateur mm. dramatics yeah 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 um, what came first then the book or the game um were you were you a writer primarily or did you were you a game writer that said i'll write a book no i'd written i'd written i'd self-published a novel i had a conversation with myself one new year's eve probably really one new year's day um <laughs> that was like look if you want to be a writer i worked in pr um, at the time I've do, I did that for about 15 years and it was I said to myself if you want to be a writer like you actually have to sit down and write a book yeah 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 um, and I did that it took me about a year to do it I self-published it because I got impatient and it probably wasn't great you know I yeah, made yeah. a few mistakes in it's it like the, it's like yeah. the first pancake yeah um, and then I started writing the games because because I didn't like the other ones that were out there and word got around through friends of friends and people were asking me for the kits and the PDFs and somebody said you know you can sell those on Etsy right. or you could sell them and I said oh sure I'll give that a lash so I was kind of and then I was writing um, my second novel which then I did get a book deal for and I did get an agent for so they were all slowly germinating over the course of maybe like two to five years when mm. I was still working having babies all that crack mm. and it was really in 2020 when 12 Motives for Murder was published Death Visit January was published. I started writing for the Sunday Independent. Um, and the games really got very busy or very popular because we were all sitting, waiting for our horse cheeks to go numb. Yeah. <laughs> uh, playing table quizzes on Zoom. So that's where there was kind of an, an added appetite. So that's really when it all properly kind of came together. And so what did you do in college? Was it was it a case of in, in all the way through secondary school, you went to, to Mercy and Navin, as you said, all the way through secondary school, you had this thing for English. You loved poetry, and then you went to college and and studied it, and you ended up in PR. But you really wanted to be a writer, or what? What was the pathway to that? Yeah, no, I was one of those uh, losers who was obsessed with like dead poet society nice, and yeah, okay. would burn incense in my room and write love poems. <laughs> um, I w- yeah, I would always want to be a writer. Um, my granny, who's actually one hundred and two, is um, a poet herself, and she wow. used to get me to write out she would speak some of the verse um and she would get me to like write it out so i'd notice where the um where the different beats were um so and she always used to send me off up the fields with a book and say good luck <laughs> and uh, so that's i always liked writing i always liked reading and i did english and journalism i did english and trinity after the leave insert and then i did journalism in dcu and yeah, I did do journalism for a while. Like I interned with Hot Press and the the Dubliner magazine, which was a great little magazine. It's a shame it's gone. Mm. Um, and I was work. I was getting day shifts in a couple of the papers here and there, but you know, it was kind of height of the recession. And as I went to the dark side of <laughs> public relations, because <laughs> I just wanted to buy like a nice handbag for myself from time to time or rent 
an apartment and yeah but but um I always had like different projects on the go I ran a business about fashion at the races for a while right ran a couple of like random afternoon tea events that basically cost me money to have people go for afternoon tea yeah, we've all yeah. been there yeah <laughs> party likes the afternoon tea in fairness oh no i was saying about the, uh, ideas costing you money oh right no, okay working out like it was a perfect ideas. blend of both there <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. so but yeah then the writing was always there and it was only when i started to get my head around it actually being a possibility that uh, it's a self belief thing, and like you know, when you have to beat your own limitations, mm. I could have done. I could have done that straight out of college. Like I could have started writing, but I just didn't believe that it was actually a viable career option. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then, so what was the the first spark? Was it was it in around the recession that you were like, this has to this has to take off now, or I'm not going to do it? Um, yeah, I mean, like I was journalism I was doing journalism at ECU and a lot of that was features writing so that's the like of Hunter S. Thompson who goes and gets absolutely mm. trolleyed and writes about it and has the most colourful exploits you know and, and Tom Wolfe and a lot of those really cool writers that you know that vibe I was really into yeah. because it's somewhere between fiction um, it uses a lot of the tools and techniques of fiction but it's ultimately non-fiction so mm. and actually I've kind of come back to the creation non-fiction recently um, I'm doing a master's in the minute in Cambridge Definitely. and um, so I'm writing a book about Mary Lavin she was a writer that was from Bective but I don't didn't really want to write like a, an ordinary biography so I've sort of made it a little bit like a game mm. where the reader is essentially like sitting beside her in the car and can like see her and smell her and listen to the radio Mm. um which takes a lot of research because you're like what did a car what did Mm. what did that sort of car look like and you know what road would you drive from dublin to navin in 1954 and all that level of research do you consider that i think every writer would have like a quirk or like would you consider like the game scenario of a book would that be your quirk that you, you kind of integrate into your books or what would your quirk be in, when you're writing that makes that someone let's say read your book but not knew, knew the author but they go this sounds like Fiona you know. I, I think I think you know the role of the reader people have mm. been playing around with the role of the reader for a long time and uh, you know this old fashioned sense of you know the fourth wall um, under the proscenium march which mm. is when the, the, the actors on the stage are talking to the audience and everyone knows mm. what's happening but the actors wouldn't necessarily say now, we all know what's going yeah, on here. Yeah. So people have been playing around with that for a long time. Um, and, you know, there's been the Nancy Drew books over the years. And even Agatha Christie toyed a lot with, uh, you know, point of view and perspective and who was talking and how much an unre- unreliable narrator would know. Mm. So I suppose it, it's continuing on that tradition of trying to find a new way in to tell a story. Um like Supper for Six, the book that's out in October, it is a fictional crime podcast. Um, it has the same detective as Twelve Motives for Murder, but it's to- her tapes um, are told within, are used basically as the kind of raw material for a crime podcast. And I really enjoyed writing that because I obviously enjoy listening to podcasts. And it, it's it's become such a part of our narrative and how we tell stories and how we communicate that mm. I wanted to kind of push that a little bit and toy around with that mm. and part of that is now because it's a podcast the podcast host is breaking that fourth wall and directly talking to the listeners to say you know and now we'll hear the next from and what do you think mm. um, so I do like that sense of kind of um, merging the role of reader and author and like I have done some um, work in the metaverse as well and that's where I find really interesting the opportunities to actually have a story um, my my kind of vision for that would be to have like a supper for six in a book that you can read supper for six in like an audio book you can listen to but actually like you can walk into the house to 26 mm. yeah yeah um, Bruton Square where the book is set and you can see where everyone's sitting down the wall kind of thing is it yeah but they, they can lift up the butter dish and see what's in there. Wow, that's so a fully immersive experience. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of doing a bit of work on that as you'll well. Have to build, you'll have to build that virtual world technically, so you'll have to team up. 
is it? Or would you be experienced in that kind of stuff yourself? You'd be able to no, I'm I'm working with some yeah. some people to explore the execution of that. Mm. Um, and then putting putting the podcast together, did you have to go about casting people for that, or or what way did that work? That would be the next stage. So because oh, right, okay. m- my publisher is Hodder and Stoughton, so when when we were casting for Twelve Motives for Murder, it w- I did get audition tapes basically right. sent to my email that I had to listen to because there's twelve suspects, twelve characters, and twelve motives. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I still had to make sure that the voices were distinct enough. So yeah, yeah. Um, the detective is British, but she's from Bolton, so she's a Northern lass. Mm. Uh, God, I can't believe I even tried to do that. <laughs> it was pretty good. <laughs> um, so, yeah, no, I do get to have a listen to the audition tapes. And, you know, I, I'm glad I did because there was one Irish in inverted <laughs> accent that was, was terrible. Right. Um, so at least I could make the point against and that. And do you um, put out there the kind of people you want or is the auditions come and then you're like, oh, that actually sounds like, in my mind, who like that character would actually sound like? Well, I have an amazing audio editor uh, in Hodder, so she looks everything or looks after everything from the scripting of the music, um, to sourcing the actors. So she'll use professional, um, narrators, audiobook narrators, and often they actually have their own following because yeah. people might like to hear a particular voice, mm. and they'll actually search books that have been read by, say, for example, George Waitman. He played one of the characters in Twelve Motives for Murder, but he has a following of his own mm. um so just that they're they like the sound of his voice is it they like the sound of his voice yeah. and actually people hate books where authors read their, their own work right oh, okay I'm, I'm the other way around yeah i mean yeah. the exception might be if it's prince harry or a big name yeah. but um generally uh, that's well, a big turn well, off I, for readers um, I or li- listeners I, I i listened to aunt middleton's three books and he obviously narrated them or read them or whatever but I don't think I could have listened to them if it wasn't him. That's where, you know, that's where, you know, that, that kind of level of truth and integrity. Mm. But it is somebody where you're used to hearing their voice. Mm. Like you, you hear his voice all the time. Yeah. Say with Prince Harry. That, yeah, it would be weird if, if it wasn't them narrating. I think biographies should always be their own voice. Uh, if they're yeah. still alive, obviously. But <laughs> uh, for fiction thing, it would be great to hear different characters sing, say a different, with different yeah, voices. True, yeah. Like, yeah, put a bit of depth into it, like. Or even crime podcasts. I love listening to crime podcasts. And it's always better when there's a different voice or they're putting on, like, they're really putting a good bit of power behind the voice when there's a killer talking or... They know how to build attention yeah, and suspense. Yeah, attention with the voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what I like about crime podcasts. Like, same drooly voice the whole way through that does a lady's voice and a man's voice. It's not the same. Mm. You, know, you need to break it up. Get everyone G'd up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. On vodka. Uh, and so, come here. What? Why? Why crime and murder? What? What drew you towards that? That whole world. I think it might have been a case of nominative determinism. <laughs> right. Um, like Sherlock is actually my own name. Yeah. Um, yeah. we always had Sherlock Holmes books at home. Like, literally, spent my entire teenage years with people saying no shit Sherlock yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Oh, and I remember like, when people used to say that <laughs> <laughs> so I think I was kind of tuned into the like I'd read all the books at an early age so I was aware of all the kind of like genre tropes and yeah. um, and I also love golden age detective fiction like Agatha Christie and that's also the sort of stuff that would have been knocking around the, the gaff that an unlimited supply of Agatha Christie mm-hmm. um, and I also like the sort of mathematical aspect to crime writing because um you know everyone has to have a means a motive an opportunity uh it's all quite mathematical and it's all quite fixed and within those boundaries actually i find it's often more of a challenge to push them and twist them and you know slightly turn the story and and create something new Mm -hmm. so like agatha christie Obviously, the queen of crime, and that term is copyrighted to her. Oh, right, is it? Lest anybody else try to ever use it. Wow. Um, the different permutations. So, for example, she would have one book, uh, Five Little Pigs, where the car- each different each chapter was from a different suspect's perspective. Oh, cool. And it's a little bit like the the last duel, where that you, you see the same set of events, and it's it's actually a common enough. Um, you know, trope now, but she mm. was the first person to do that. Right. Where you see the same thing happen from the point of view of five different people and you have to try and, you know, figure mm. it out. Uh, when she wrote Who Killed Roger Ackroyd, um, the, the narrator who's meant to be investigating the, climb, the crime 
is actually the killer. Sorry, that is a spoiler alert. But oh. it's not top of the. <laughs> I'm not going to read it now. Then That's it's not fine. top so. of the charts at the minute. Right. But um, that unreliable narrator, which we're kind of more used to now, mm. um, that people were horrified, like absolutely outraged. Mm. Um, so I suppose that opportunity to look to really turn things upside down appealed to me. Mm. Yeah. So no history in crime whatsoever. None. <laughs> Um, uh, do you want to tell us about, about some of your, your your first one the first book that you wrote is this the first one that was released preserved is that right so as I debuted during lockdown yeah. um, uh, some of the books came out as ebooks first and audiobooks first and then the paperbacks came basically when the bookshops reopened oh. so we kind of tried a few different titles so the first book that was actually released was 12 Motives for Murder and that came oh. out uh, in 2020 and that was an audiobook and ebook just before Christmas mm-hmm. now I only started writing that that June wow, I started writing that wow. in the rotunda uh, no way a couple of days after having a, a c-section wow. and um, then the audiobook and everything you, you had organised and arranged that's incredible well that's the one good thing about Covid was that you know there were certain areas looking to kind of respond in an agile way so mm-hmm. my publisher had set up essentially an audio uh, studio mm-hmm. at the time and their kind of focus was to turn around interesting audiobooks mm-hmm. very quickly during the pandemic because the growth in audio listenership was so great to mm-hmm. kind of capitalize on that mm-hmm. so that meant that they could move in a way that traditional publishing wouldn't and couldn't and doesn't. Yeah, yeah. You know, the traditional process, uh, which I went through with my Irish publishers, with Poolbag, you know, you go looking for an agent. It took me a year to get an agent. And then once uh, she had a look over the book, she sent it out to different publishers. And that took another, another eight months. And then, you know, by the time you go through editing at your cover designed or whatever that could be another 16 months so such a short time frame was great for 12 motives mm-hmm. but it so wasn't actually the first book I'd written if you right. were going to bring out a book as like as you say a, an actual book physical copy you're after saying what 8 months 16 months it's a long time Jesus, it's a long time yeah. so the, the 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 paperback to accompany that uh, was published 10 months later in the October in time for the following Christmas mm-hmm. So it does. It does take. Uh, that's not true. No fault of your own, really. It's just that's the process. It's on someone's desk, like uh, they have a pile high of different books to try and go through. And well, to be honest, the the delay in the paperback was really because the bookshops were closed yeah. and everyone sure, was yeah. hedging their bets about, um, you know, when they were going to. Especially with debut authors, it's harder to you know reach a new audience and actually exposure in the bookshop is very important. Mm-hmm. Um. But in terms of like the broader publishing industry, sometimes they can move very quickly. Mm. Um, and then, you know, like there's just such a demand and so many t- amazingly talented writers um, mm. that, you know, nobody wants to miss one either. But the agents and the people reading the submissions, uh, the, yeah, they're completely swamped, like completely right. swamped. And I imagine, as you're saying, with COVID, I'd imagine there's maybe millions of more brand new writers during COVID because they're just bored at home. A lot of COVID books. Yeah. There is a lot of COVID books written. Um, but ultimately, you know, if, if somebody has a very strong voice, I think uh, a good agent or good editor will be able to see through, oh, this is just covid mm. stuff. Yeah, yeah. And hear the voice. You know, we've all read books that kind of get you straight away and you're just there with the character. And I know that that's the sort of thing that uh, agents anyway, particularly want. Yeah. Um, and I actually think that um, speaking of <laughs> transmissible diseases, um, <laughs> when my my agent had a, an open day in Dublin, and I said by hook or by crook I'm going to that. Yeah. But at the time I had scarlet fever, and oh. it, I mean it was bad. I was like drenched in sweat. My temperature was like thirty nine degrees. Genius. So like I dragged myself out of bed and went down to the Holiday Inn in O'Connell Street. Um but I wanted to try and get their attention but I was like I basically fainted twice and like drenched well, get your attention anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and like sweated through my clothes like I had a big bat patch of the, my back. But anyway, I managed to get the attention of my agent um and get to pitch the story to her uh, so yeah it was it was it was and that's I the think. difference the determination that someone could have like if you did, if you were to say oh, stay at home that's you probably would have gone a different direction would that be right I suppose so yeah, yeah. Mm. I mean it's you do amazing. need to have you do need to just sit down and write the book 
Mm. Like. And how long did it take from the start of the book to the end of the book? To write it, it depends. So like when I wrote 12 Motives, uh, it took me about three months to write it um, in a very intense way. Although it was a bit shorter than a normal book because all your books are. Um, a regular kind of 90,000 page book would probably take me more like four or five months to write. Mm. And I need to run away from it as far as mm. I possibly can um, for a couple of months before I go back and edit it a couple so more times. So that you wrote in that time because um, like you're, you're saying there's 12 suspects. That's 12 characters that you have to write that people can connect with. Like generally what romantic novels are kind of just two people that you have to write about. But you have 12 people to write about. Yeah. That's mad. So is there a lot of... Uh, and a victim. The, the, the longest thing I ever wrote was a thesis. So it's not exactly a book. But do you have to go do all your research first? Or do you like develop it as you're writing it? Or do you have like a stack of things that like you've gone and researched and you want to make sure you add all them into the book as you're writing it? Or does it just comes to you as you're doing it? There's two types of writers. There's uh, plotters and pantsers. So pantsers are people who fly by the seat of their pants and they're just like, whatever, come and come. And then plotters are people who will have multiple Excel spreadsheets with characters, past lives, history and everything. I would be closer to a pantser than a plotter, but I use some plotting tools because of just, I find if I don't have have a clear enough plan, especially when there's, so many characters and so many permutations and so many potential endings that I'll just end up getting kind of lost and have to do more editing work in the end. So I do try and keep the simple like one Excel spreadsheet mm-hmm. that I can look at. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, I do have to kind of like go back and check. Um, but I do find that once I have the overall like story arc developed and I know who the characters are, that I kind of can let go a little bit mm. and to be honest when I was writing 12 Motives I kind of nearly felt like I was like downloading it from downloading it from elsewhere Mm. Uh, it was just you know I had a newborn baby so I was like writing for or sleeping for four hours and getting up at two o'clock in the morning to write for an hour or two Mm. so I I was in this weird soup of baby and Mm. writing yeah and I think it actually released a lot of the kind of blocks that I think sometimes creative people can have because it was just this and this mm. they're the only things you're doing right now and I'm sure they're not listening sorry Scotty but no, I'm sure they're not listening uh, but did you base any of the characters off people that you know <laughs> writers are cannibals yeah, yeah. we steal little bits yes. of this person and little bits <laughs> of that person and nibble them all away and store them in a Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. 
Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Big warehouse um, that, you know, we go and take something off the shelf and put it in a pot and mix it in with that person's temper, right. that person's eyes, and uh, mix it all together. Mm. I, I, I wouldn't say that I have, like, wholeheartedly, like, lifted it a person from real life and put them into a bucket. Yeah, but think, that's me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they would. But it's funny how people like you don't know I don't know everything everyone I've ever met has done in their lives. Yeah. Or yeah. all the people that they know. And I've had so many people say to me like, Oh well, yeah, well you must have heard about my auntie because she was very like that character and I'm yeah. like, no, like that's actually a coincidence. Yeah. And people will look at the at, at scenes and, and see things that maybe not be there yeah they'll see parts of themselves in the characters that you make but that's also good writing yeah 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 yeah. so you're um, you know Murakami his process is that he wakes up at 4am he goes for a, a 10k run and then he comes back and he says that the most productive time that he has is from say 5 until 7 in the morning he just writes all the way through there and that's religiously what he does and do you do you have a process like that where you go, okay, this is my writing time, this is when I'm most productive, or do you just kind of go, as you say, I'll just go by the seat of my pants and whenever it comes out, it comes out? Um, now that I'm not in COVID with uh, a newborn, I do have a little bit more control over my life and my, and my diary. So I generally prefer to write in the morning. Mm. I would set aside a couple of hours to do like kind of deep work. And that's where I like literally close everything else and write for two or three hours. Um, I am a big fan of the old morning routines. Mm. I do like an early start. Uh, now, I wouldn't go for a 10K run. I'd feel like that would uh, build up too much resistance. I do like maybe, I do like a little meditation, have a cup of tea, yeah. do like 10 minute yoga, and then I start writing. I feel like if I leave it hanging too long, I'm like, get antsy about it. And I just yeah. want to get cracking. Um, and then I usually like drop the kids to school and come back and do another maybe hour or two. Mm. And then in the afternoon I, I just don't even try and write write yeah. like I just do emails or Facebook or you ever be whatever. driving and like think of a plot and you have to like pull the car over to write down those little nuggets do come occasionally yeah. um, and I, I'd say I've probably had about 10 of them Yeah. and when they come I would stop the car and write it down yeah. I'd record it on my phone you have to don't you yeah but um, you know it's also my job so I sit down at the desk at that time and I have to work and I have to write and I can't just wait around for the cherubs of inspiration to arrive mm-hmm. it, comes, it comes a bit naturally to you then because that's obviously what's in you to do the writing and the typing and things like that because it obviously is a very hard thing because I watched the Will Smith documentary and he was writing a book and it was about himself but he found it so hard to sit down and he was only telling whoever was writing the book his stories and like the attention that uh, span it would just go he'd be in for an hour and then he's gone and then he'd blow it off another day so it it, it's just that it's just kind of natural or do you have to work at it to try and like nail down right this is the two hours this is what I have to get done and listen things or did you say that it just comes to you and you start typing like I mean, I have to work at it. There's some days where it feels like I'm bleeding onto the page just to get a couple of words that are awful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's the days. There's the days where it comes and it flows and you're loving it and, and loving life. Uh, so, but it, it's really just discipline that's kind of got me to stick with those rougher days and come up with a strategy. So I might be struggling with a scene where I'm like, okay, I have to get this character to get that envelope into their hand and get over to you know that shop and meet this person in the shop. And I just, I might be struggling with writing it nicely mm-hmm. and just be like, I'll write A to B. She gets the envelope, she walks over there, blah, blah, blah. And then it, that, that I bring myself to a place where I can have a bit of crack again, where I'm like, right, we're going to a Kaylee now, let's go, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I've kind of developed those strategies, but I haven't seen that Will Smith documentary, but I suppose when you're writing autobiography, there's a, a lot to unpack and like you know yeah because I, I, I see him because he's like an actor and a musician that he'd have like the discipline to be in with the writer and stuff and go and uh, it was documentary but actually was losing weight I think that's where the documentary was just following him around and it just goes to show like even though he's so committed in like um, being a good actor and a good musician and things like that that 
it just didn't come naturally to him to be sitting there to be telling his stories even though he wasn't actually one typing and you think that the easiest kind of writing would be the one where you're just telling your stories you don't have to make up the characters or give their history and know their history and things like that to kind of um, knit them all together in like the scenes when you're writing and stuff and I just thought it was interesting that it must be really hard because you would have thought like Will Smith <laughs> would have been able to do it yeah but I suppose, like, I think we do write our own histories. We rewrite our own versions of histories. Mm-hmm. And something that I kind of came across and I was looking into seeing what are my limiting beliefs? What, where, where am I limited? And I remember, you know, a teacher telling me, like, you're never going to make any money writing. Mm-hmm. Like, you need to cop on to yourself. You're not going to, this is not actually an option for you. And, and so I kind of told myself that story. So, yeah, yeah. and then when I remember the past, you can remember things differently and rewrite it and think of all the people who were like, oh, you're a great writer and best luck with things. So I say, I can see how that would be really difficult for, for uh, somebody to write their own autobiography to to tease out those details and be like, well, will I position my aunt nicely? Or yeah. we're only getting on now. Will I tell them to unvarnished truth like how many bridges do you burn mm. because who are you protecting yeah you know so i think that that would be kind of a, a kind of a loaded uh challenge to have but also at the same time he's not waiting for um publisher royalties to buy his groceries yeah yeah, that's so true. that's a different motivation <laughs> as well you know mm. um and bringing you back to to your, your books and your characters do you have say an overall arc for all of these characters do you have something in mind say 10 books from now where you're like this is how this is going to end or this is what I'm going to do with these characters or is it just we'll see what happens to them the next time there is an overarching so my two main detectives uh, January Quayle is my Irish antiques journalist and January arrived into my sitting room I was living in Stony Batter at the time she arrived into my sitting room basically fully formed with a red bob drinking a glass of creme de menthe mm-hmm. smoking a consulate cigarette and carrying a big antique books under her antique book under her arm mm-hmm. and she just arrived and she's been such a a gift and such a presence in my life um that you know so she's struggling with a lot of things basically relating to her own past that she's not dealing with and um, that she has to ultimately begin to deal with so I have a three book deal for her but I have a much longer um, story arc which is all related to her healing and her copping onto herself and you know the ups and downs that accompany that and I'm actually writing a TV series set uh, with January as as the kind of lead so that charts are kind of her journey to healing um, and similarly, Elizabeth Chalice, who's my kind of British wartime nurse detective, mm. she has a similar sort of arc. And I, so Supper for Six, that's coming out in October, that's set in 1977, which was a really big jump from when the, the first book was set, which was in 1953. So the first time I meet Elizabeth, she's 36 and she's flirty and, you know, she's having lots of fun in like 1950s um, Italy. But then we meet her as a much older lady in a different position. And funnily, doing that has actually left me with a lot of scope for the intervening years. And I've had to think about, well, what has actually happened to her in those essentially 25 years? Yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, uh, there is a question, though, with detective characters that uh, there's a case to be made that detectives don't really grow, that they should essentially sort of stay the same and then just yeah. the mysteries change yeah. uh, if you think about Inspector Morris or even Sherlock Holmes you know there's an appetite there's not going to be a huge growth I think that readers have sort of changed a little bit mm. but like I will say like Harry Bosch the Michael Connolly detective um, like, I honestly thought he was less crack when he stopped drinking but <laughs> the character kind of had to do it he couldn't he couldn't just keep making a balls of things yeah. because he was locked mm. yeah yeah that is the persona you get of detectives anyway isn't it smoking a cigar and drinking jemison troubled whiskey, yeah you know, yeah brown bag exactly big trench coat you know but <laughs> but could just solve a crime in two minutes like it's that's my persona in my mind of detectives like that but yeah do you, do you, do you have to try and break that mold when you're writing one um i think you do have to try and break the mold when you're writing them but but i think sometimes I think one of the reasons why detective fiction is so popular is that we all feel ourselves as having some inherent flaws and insecurities and that 
to see them uh, manifest so obviously for somebody else they're almost our kind of sin eaters um, that's this medieval concept where um, people would go and put the bread and your man would come and eat the bread when the sins are gone yeah, sins are gone yeah mm. I learned that from Outlander <laughs> Outlander has a lot to, a lot to, a lot to teach all right yeah. so I think people like this sort of and we live quite sanitized safe lives these days mm. like if you think about humanity and the struggle for survival at the start you know people were, were murdering big old lax, uh, oxes and you know life was bloody and brutal and short mm. and you know up until 100 years ago we were fighting uh, there was blood still being shed in that kind of and there, and there still is of course in many places today mm. but I think for many people life is a lot more settled and more domesticated and safe mm-hmm. but I sort of feel like there's still this human need for the dark or the deep or the unseen mm. I think that's why people like crime fiction there's a murderer in all of us basically <laughs> waiting to get out yeah like, I in, think the, in a serious sense like their, their own tribal feelings of it would have been survival of the fittest and stuff like that so you'd have to kill your neighbour in order to survive and all that kind of, is that kind of the scenario you're talking about as in we all have absolutely want to live beside John <laughs> no I'm not moving to Kildare I don't have any more neighbours <laughs> <laughs> they're all gone are they all gone. mysteriously disappeared <laughs> it's not that mysterious you just told us what you did to them <laughs> no <laughs> um, yeah. uh, d- do um, detectives and like a lot of detective stories are obviously like in the past but if you bring them into like a modern time do they become more a scientific kind of inspector because it's like gadgets and technology and things like that where our inspector stories that are like 50s, 60s, 70s um, better stories because it's about deducing things and seeing clues and figuring out where like a, like a, a normal person is, is doing it that has just had really heightened sense of being able to like Sherlock Holmes can read like tweaks or he was a little bit thinking a little bit quicker than more pe- people are uh, like are they more fun to write rather than someone who like is in a lab and he's like assessing things and kind of gets the clues a bit easier I think it's broadened the genre. So I think they're, you know, the likes of CSI yeah. and there's and, and, and some writers who will really get into the to the into the scientific advancements and make the most of that and capitalise on that and that's a whole other way to tell a story. Mm. Um there's people who will go down the kind of the, the kind of technological advances. But my favourite thing is to put people somewhere remote, <laughs> turn off the electricity, yeah. you know, cut them off from the outside world, like uh create a sort of a sense of danger that they're locked into a, a house with a killer so they can't wait for an autopsy result yeah, they yeah. can't wait for that because they're actually in danger at that moment in time yeah i, I mean this that's the classic locked room mystery yeah that's yeah. murder on the orient express and they're all stuck in the train carriage yeah. um but that does give us give give crime writers and lucy foley um she does it very well too it gives um on supper for six there's a mysterious gas explosion on the streets of london that mm. keeps everybody locked up right. um so yeah there's there's techniques that you can work around that and, and you can still get to that essentially person to person deduction uh with a few little clues and red herrings and mm. and reading people and trying to read behavior yeah, I think they're they're more interesting, as I said, for people because you feel like that you're trying to solve it yourself. Where when it comes to like CSI and all that, you 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 at home don't have that equipment, Absolutely. <laughs> so you can't like invest yourself in trying to figure it out as the book goes on. Like, yeah, and I mean, I think uh, new crime writers can kind of fall into the trap of waiting for the lab report to come back and you know the there's a clue dump yeah, yeah, and everything yeah. there and it, and people aren't expecting it and they don't feel like they've kind of earned it so they don't value it mm. whereas if somebody's like oh that one there's something about that one now and uh, your man there's something there mm. and then if they see another oh there's something else. oh yeah well okay her scarf right her scarf you know if they see that clue progression and they feel like they're in on it yeah yeah that they've had some level of foresight, then they're bought into it, and th- you know they're just more invested instead of just right there's the autopsy report and that that's the results. As a result of your your writing, do you find that you're ever in a room and you look around the place, you're trying to figure out 
what's going on? Do you ever play investigator by yourself? <laughs> Sometimes I do. Um, you ever get kicked off a crime scene? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> get out of here. That's <laughs> a serious question. Have I been kicked <laughs> off a crime scene? Um, no, I haven't. I haven't. Uh, not yet. You had to think about that for a second, though, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> like, no, where can they connect me to? <laughs> uh, but um, would you love to pick the brain of like a murder, a homicide detective from Dublin? You see, that, that is why I like uh, to write a cosy crime. That's mm. sort of my genre. So this is the Agatha Christie School where... Yes, there's a body, and yes, there's been a murder, and yes, there may be some blood or a contorted face, but that is as far as it goes. Mm, and right I right. actually have, uh, I struggle with true crime. And even when I was uh, researching and listening to Serial and West Cork and all, all the mm. usuals um, for Supper for Six, I, I, did, I do find it hard because the real people and they're real yeah. victims. And I suppose that's one thing that as a crime writer, I'm sort of conscious of in that you know serious violence has serious consequences and you know we're talking about it as light entertainment um i do try to you know make donations to charities and things like that who look after victims and i do just it's there in the back of my mind Mm. and actually i did an interview with bbc news um which uh, was a very nerve-wracking event say so uh, I did that during the pandemic and somebody tweeted that they were horrified because their friend had been murdered in South Africa and, um, you know, there was no resolution for the case and they were deeply upset by seeing this on the news first thing in the morning. Wow. So, there, there, you know, there are those kind of, and, you know, I'm reading the Tao Te Ching at the lot, a lot at the minute mm. and there's a verse in there about not supporting violence and not supporting weapons. And, and it's over, th- I think it's over there somewhere as well, Tao Te Ching. It's in that little... Is it the uh, beside the philosophy one there, John? Is it the Tao Te Ching? Did you just put uh, these? Did you just put these books uh, here and there? No, those books are book those books are never there. That's, that's a pure coincidence. That one. Yeah. There you go. You used yeah. to keep these under the table. Why are they? Yeah. On the <laughs> They're never over there. Uh, so great. yeah, it kind of discourages the use of violence. So hmm. did you read this guy? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good. Yeah. Well, I mean, you read pieces of it. Hmm. It's not really a you read all the way through kind of thing. Oh, right, okay. You just pick at it. It's nice. Hmm. I, I li- read the Wayne Dyer one and he says, do a verse a day. Right, yeah. And then he gives his own little interpretation of it. Hmm. There you go. Questions about this later, yeah? yeah. You can actually you can take that with you if you want. You might. Yeah, you should. It'll uh, enlighten you greatly. I will. You'll come back next week and you'll be no <laughs> crack whatsoever. <laughs> no, not yet. He's completely enlightened. <laughs> I don't eat chocolates anymore. <laughs> Sorry, no chocolate. Chocolate's violent. You even forgot the chocolate this week. <laughs> Um, I'm not driving a car anymore. It could hurt someone. Yeah. <laughs> so, what what do you what what's the future for you? Is there anything that you, you any way you want to take this, or any sort of exciting little advancement that you want to to take your writing in? Um, I really want to keep going with the metaverse uh, mm. side of storytelling. I think that there's a lot of opportunity um, to create similar experience because I feel like it will feel familiar to people because they're used to the Mm. TV shows and books or whatever so Mm. that's what I'm really interested in and actually just actually building building it building the kind of the venue Um, I have really since I started doing my masters and I started working on my Mary Lavin project I have enjoyed creative non-fiction and then getting back to writing kind of featuresy pieces so I have a piece in the ski supplement of the Telegraph in a couple of months time wow. about um, this mad competition called ski joring right um, where up until this year Ireland were the reigning champions and it ski, takes ski joring ski joring so you basically pulled uh, behind a galloping horse on a set of skis. <laughs> and Flat. Team Ireland, they went over and represented us in 2020 and they won. They went to what? Calgary. Were they from Limerick? They were from Navin. No, no way. way. Is this like a cool runnings kind of thing? <laughs> <laughs> we had no snow, but we managed to win How did they do that? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so... I, I, they, 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 it was in Cal- held in Calgary in Canada, and I'm friends with them. And they said, oh, "We need we need a re- somebody for the relay race. Would you be fit for it?" And I was like, "No, no." They're asking you to do it with them. Yeah. What? Wow. 
So anyway, I said, mm, I would love to go to Canada. Uh, so I decided to put a pitch together for the Telegraph. So at least then I got a commission and I was actually had a legitimate reason to go. Lovely. And see that kind of crazy world, which is like a kind of a Western cowboy uh, so is vibe. So it, is it on snow? It's on snow. And is there a horse and a rider and a ski person or is the ski person guiding the horse? Um like a chariot but that's it's a horse on skis <laughs> <laughs> you're pulling the horse on skis party. that's the game do you I think, think you're going to have to do a ski door episode because there's so much in yeah, it yeah that's amazing um, yeah. no like the horse there, there's a, a rider who uh, who directs the horse and somebody on skis so when I did do the relay right. race I was on skis is there photos of this and stuff we can put up like uh, we put it up in our stories and stuff yeah oh, oh my god can you put us in touch with them? We'll have a chat with them. Yes. I will indeed put you in touch with them. That's brilliant. They're in heaven as well. Brilliant. Yeah, Susan Oakes was the rider and Barry O'Brien Lynch was the slider, is what they call the skier. This is epic. This I is know epic. him. I know him, actually. <laughs> That's mad. That's a crazy old coincidence. He lived out by, oh, well, I can't tell you where his address is, actually. <laughs> old, jo- old Johnstown direction, anyway. He's from that area, isn't he? Old Johnstown But area. they have a great story, and uh, they did uh, they did a lot of media around this time, around their training routine, so they can t- they will tell you much about it. I feel like this this is a Rocky Four thing, yeah. where like they didn't have the technology to train, <laughs> and they're out like on li- little ponies, and they don't the horse, the horse on the treadmill. <laughs> yeah. uh, just go, just to cl- the the where you're saying where you're going next are you concerned about AI technology um no I'm actively exploring it myself yeah. mm. we use that a lot in work and it's incredible what it can do it is I yeah. and I, I think um in terms of like what what a writer might that might do to make a clip like copywriting or website writing that's a challenge because like mm. the AI is doing that as good as anybody yeah, else it's a danger technically isn't it to writers it is no it is because that's a kind of played paid sort of stuff that that's going to pay the bills mm. where I don't think it's going to get and um it's the kind of it's never going to capture the uniqueness of uh somebody's voice yeah. somebody's lived experience and I have been playing around with it I've asked her to write stories in in my style yeah um by giving them a book and seeing mm. where they've gone with it Incredible, and yeah. um I, I think I think that it still kind of doesn't really resonate now maybe there's going to be scope there for you know poorly written ebooks or whatever mm. but you know kids, kids are using it for their assignments in school I've been told by a teacher and like they, put, they handed in like um, whatever the assignment was and like it was an A in the assignment and he, he, he questioned him because like you actually spelt your name wrong last week <laughs> <laughs> how have you gotten this and he says it's so obvious that they're using it like in school and everything like there's um, I don't know if you know Casey do you know Casey Neistat do you ever see that guy he's a he's a, um, he's a director kind of filmographer and he he does um, like a blog post video blog post and he used uh, AI to write a uh, a blog um, and then he went and did did out the whole vlog and, and filmed it uh, as AI um, said that he should. Um, and his his um, ultimate um, what's the word I'm looking for? His uh, his conclusion with it was that it lacked uh, it lacked soul, and it, it just landed in that like that uncanny valley where you're not quite sure if it's a human or if it's a robot and it's kind of it just freaks you out a little bit mm. but ultimately that the soul was missing from mm. whatever it was yeah. putting out great way to put it That's, mm. yeah. yeah yeah which i thought was interesting it's a great way to put it mm. you know but i do think it's kind of like a, a little intern mm. that's what i've been using it as a yeah. little intern you know write me up a little proposal for this yeah, you know handy. Uh, actually rewrite that again in a, in a funnier voice actually that's too funny rewrite it again in a little bit more corporate tone um, so I'm trying to like school it and see how far I get with it bully it in other yeah. words yeah because yeah. you know they say that um, uh, you know that now is the time to make loads of money with AI and if you get in on it right now mm. you know but you know who made the most money during the gold rush people selling the shovels yeah 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 exactly yeah I like that um, right, will we uh, we move on? Is there anything that you'd like to you'd like to tell us about before we move on? Where can we buy the book? I suppose. 
Uh, Antonia, I must have to have to give a shout out to Antonia's in mm. Trim. Right. Antonia and the girls in there are amazing. They've always been so supportive, and um, they've always like any time I ever launch, they let me go in and sign all the books. Oh, uh, Easton's and Navin are great as well, um, and you know to have those Irish uh, independent smaller bookshops. Yeah. Um, and online, can you buy it online if you're? You can absolutely buy it online, and I'm sure mm. if you type in. Fiona Sherlock books you'll find a few places to buy it from so Mm -hmm. keep it local is what you're saying keep it local yeah 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 perfect it's that time you know the name it's the reason we all came find the words that are the same it's that time to play the waffle game in 30 seconds Fiona can you name five famous serial killers ooh Uh, Ed Gaines um Jack the Ripper uh, Charles Manson. Um. Yeah, keep going. <laughs> it's so bad. Sorry, dead air, dead air, dead air. It's crazy how your mind can go blank. Yeah, trust me, it's mad. Um, oh, the the two boys from In Cold Blood. Um, and go. Okay, that, Time. It. it is crazy how your mind can go black no matter how good you are at the subject. I can't believe I only got three. Yeah, it's but, madness. But I mean, I don't, I don't think serial killers essentially is your wheelhouse, right? It's more, <laughs> it's more. I should still well. know. I should still be able to name five in thirty seconds. <laughs> really. Um, well, you got Jack the Ripper, yeah. but that's the only one you got off my list. Uh, okay. Okay. So yeah, Ted Bundy. Yes. Uh, mm. Jeffrey Dahmer. Mm. He's a big one now at the uh, moment, he isn't he? John Wayne Gacy. Killers. Yeah, John Wayne Gacy, yeah. And I've never heard of that guy. Chicalito. Yeah. Oh, Chicatilo, sorry. That person. Chicalito. No, I haven't yeah. either. Okay. Um, no, that's, 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 that, that was that just off Google. You must be a Mexican serial killer. Mm. <laughs> that's Chiquitilo. my homework. That's going to keep me up for the next next six Chiquitilo. months. Chiquitilo. There you go. So one, one out of five. Nice yeah. work. It's not bad. I've got yeah. zero in that We've game before. So well, Benny only got what? two last week and they're all names of axes yeah I thought he'd get. <laughs> he works with axes <laughs> you know. it's um, 30 seconds it puts pressure on people it really does in fairness um, alright we do our strike one I often just google my research all the time as well <laughs> that's 95% of this podcast is just yeah. <laughs> the first I, google result I googled on the way up the stairs <laughs> Um, there, there was. There's been a few occasions when we we take a topic and we would just go on and research it, um, and myself and Bertie will arrive in with the exact same research <laughs> to the key. There was one week that I picked like the eight search results on Google, and it managed to be the same one that he picked. Exactly. <laughs> so we, we don't research too deep in fairness. Yeah. Maybe ask ChatGPT to do both of your research for you. So there you go. Mm. Overlapping. That's why I don't research lads. He's it's not laziness at all. It's not. No, no, no. no. Like, no that's that's where the whole waffle team comes yeah. in, you know. It's coming in cold. I think I like Bluffing. it. Yeah. Bluffing. That's what I call it. Uh, yeah. no, I he, think we, we we're getting away with it. So he, far. He, well, John gets away with it anyway. Um, all right, we do do some shell bombs. Shell bombs. Um, I've got I've got a few little ones. Um, I, it's more. Did you know they're only little small ones? Yeah. Did you know that the Greek national anthem, hymn, uh, hymn to liberty, has one hundred and fifty eight verses? That's the Greek national anthem. How long are the verses? Oh, I'm not sure. Then again, I didn't do too much research on this, um, but it's also used by Cyprus as their national anthem as well. Cyprus and Greece have the same national. Isn't that interesting? They're different countries. Do you know? I know. Yeah. Do you know? Also, what was interesting? The same song was number one in Germany and England um, during the Second World War, called "Lily Marlene." Right. In England, it was, or in the UK, it was sung by Verlin, and in Germany, it was sung by Marlene Dietrich. Right. And it was the same melody. And it, they sang it in German in Germany and in English in England. And did they copy each other or was it just a pure coincidence? That I, no, it's, I'm, I'm sure it couldn't have been a coincidence yeah, yeah, because, yeah. you know, it was so similar. But, um, yeah, worth a little little Google further. That's an interesting one. And then they stopped. World War Two came to a halt on, was it Christmas Day? World War One, yeah. They, called, one, it, they called it a truce to play a game of footy. Yeah, isn't that amazing? Um, John? Yes. Uh, you have no, do you have anything well, uh, to add? Oh yeah, well, um, Robbie Kennedy. Oh, for God's he sake! He wrote a book, right? Called it the Bible. <laughs> for yeah. God's sake! Uh, we 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 have a friend called Robbie Kennedy, and uh, yeah. he's he's a bit of, like he's our Chuck, Chuck Norris. Norris. He's the Irish Chuck Norris. He does crazy stuff. Yeah. He, what sort of stuff? Uh, pff, I mean, 
you, you name um, it, he hasn't done it. Like he can slam a rotating door. Um, <laughs> he wants. She uh, looks so puzzled. At the moment. He, <laughs> I'm just trying to picture. When, when he when Robbie like turns off a light, he doesn't turn off the light. He turns on the dark. <laughs> like he's one of these guys. That okay, does. this is this is this is starting to be stuff. Yeah. I'm going to squirrel away now. Yeah. <laughs> There's going to be a character coming <laughs> up in a book now. Stuff, Robbie. He's just. Um, can break the speed of light with his fist you know it's unbelievable he's well, he's Trim's national well, if, national superhero if I showed a photograph of Robbie you'd go oh my god look that's who, uh, he's totally how he's described mm, he has true. legs for arms show us a photo then <laughs> um, he has no neck it's chest and head yeah. and traps <laughs> <laughs> he's an amazing man yeah. Bertie let's, let's get away from this uh, do you have anything that you want to my add my shell bomb is for John Oh yeah, it's just to put him at ease the next time he goes to somewhere where I know he doesn't like going. Dentist. Exactly. All oh, right. Oh, no. So I have a name of a dentist here called Alfred Porter Southwick, and do you know what he invented? Uh, the drill. No, the electric chair. All oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> so he thought it'd be a more humane way um, to kill people um, for the death penalty rather than hanging them. So he was a, a dentist, a boat engineer, and an inventor. Okay. So you can think about that next time you go to the dentist. Next John. time you're sitting on a chair. Yep. Love it. There you go. Thanks, Bertie. <sighs> I saw a great name for a dentist in uh, in Kildare. Um, it was called Clane Teeth. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.